0: Welcome to Lockbox. My name is Jeffrey Broger. I'm here today with Sean O'Toole. Sean, thanks for being with us. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So first, why don't you tell our listeners who you are and where you're from?
1: Founder and CEO of Property Radar, and I live in beautiful Truckee, North Lake Tahoe, California.
0: Awesome. So you're in California, a little up north. I'm down in Huntington Beach myself, and I grew up going to Lundy Lake. It's about an hour past Mammoth. Uh, just yeah. off the 395, a little canyon. And every single year, every summer, myself, my family, we went up there. What a beautiful area. I mean, the Sierra Nevada mountains are just incredible. Lake Tahoe is incredible. So you, you definitely live in a beautiful area.
1: As much as people beat up on California, like the ocean and the mountains, they're pretty hard to beat.
0: <laughs> yeah, and we have both. And, and to, we'll to, both. you know, yeah, world-class in, in both as well. So uh, I'm curious what got you into the real estate industry?
1: Um, it was a, a little bit of a long journey. I, was, I started working actually as a software developer when I was 14 and sold computers wow. when I was 16. Bought my first house when I was 18. I was so successful with the uh, computers and started my first software company at 18, but uh, took a little journey way back when. And uh, my dad wanted to retire to Hawaii and bought a Homes and Land magazine franchise. And so this was in the very late 80s and asked me if I'd go run it for two years because he was two years away from early retirement. So I took a break from software and ran a Homes and Land magazine. And that was kind of my first introduction to real estate and real estate marketing and, and all the rest. And I also started a, a, a postcard company, an aerial photography company at that time. And, and so that was pretty interesting, but came back to tech and was uh, did three tech startups in Silicon Valley for streaming video, all kinds of good stuff and uh, for the internet. And after the dot-com crash, it was hard to do another startup. And it wasn't impossible, but it was hard to do another startup. And I had a buddy that I was, you know, wakeboarding and kite surfing with and all the rest who was in real estate. And he was making more money than most, myself and most of my friends in Silicon Valley were making unless you hit it big with like a Google or something. It would have been Yahoo or Netscape back at that time. And I'm like, and he's got time to go play, which I never had in Silicon Valley. And uh, he introduced me to a buddy who was flipping foreclosures and said, you ought to go write software for this guy. And I'm like, I'm not writing software for 40 guys, right? They call them the 40 thieves in California, right? And uh, But he kind of walked me through his deals and the rest and was asking him what his return on investment was. And he didn't know, right? Like, he's driving a nice car, has a nice office, like he's clearly doing well, but like, okay. And how much time is your money sitting in the bank? You know, like how, and he said, well, why don't you take my deals for my last year and go look at them and analyze them? Guess what his return was? Annual return on his capital.
0: I mean, he was probably like doubling his money, like a hundred percent return.
1: Yeah. 80% return on capital. Nice. <laughs> and I'm like, well, okay. If I go back to doing startups, unless again, like if, even if you have a good exit, right? Like you're not really going to make that much money. You need a big exit to really make it in in tech. And I'm like, unless I just nail it and get a big exit, right? I had some nice little exits, so I had some money in the bank. I could take that money that I have, go into this business, and and probably do better and still have a life. So did that and ended up flipping 160 roughly uh, properties, everything from you know. So you did sales- it
0: yourself. Yeah, you, you became a real estate investor and started flipping houses
1: started flipping houses. And uh, most of them I bought at the auction steps, but I did a little bit of door knocking, a little bit of direct mail. And I also bought commercial properties, bought a large industrial property, a couple did lot splits and start, you know, kind of just did all the different angles, really dove into public records and title and just found that fascinating and started writing software to run my business, which ultimately became Foreclosure Radar and then Property Radar, the companies I run today.
0: Very interesting, totally makes sense with the initial background in software, the quick introduction to real estate early from buying a house at 18, which is awesome. And and you know, your right. your father getting you into the magazine. And then with the dot-com explosion, you know, the, the dot-com bubble bursting, it's interesting how those seeming failures oftentimes later it can end up being either the catalyst for success or something that teaches you a lesson and you're able to then use and create success later. So, you know, dot-com bubble bursts, you're burnt out on the startup game. And then all of a sudden, you know, you just kind of like look around, you take a moment and you're like, hey, man, this guy's doing really well. What's he doing? <laughs> and yeah, right. oh, real estate. And, <laughs> and I love that the foundation of the Property Radar company as a whole is based on your own experience as an investor. I think that's always the best origin story for a tech company is that the founder discovered a need, created a system for themselves, And then later on, it evolved into the the end user product because they needed it, right? And they discovered that was a need based on experience.
1: I have had this conversation so many times with my Silicon Valley friends, you know, it's like the best thing I ever did was leaving Silicon Valley and going and doing something else for a while, right? Like i right. trying to solve right. other people's problems. I started solving my own and, you know, just so many more light bulbs go off when you do that. So yeah, a hundred percent, you know, I also believe that success comes from failure, right? So here I am succeeding with flipping houses and, and all these different things, starting to think about development. And then at the end of 2005, I look at the market and go, I don't want to own any real estate, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm back out of business. I don't want to flip another property. I don't want to build anything. I want to be completely out of the real estate market. And, you know, so here I am again, kind of facing like after the dot-com bubble where it's like, okay, it's really hard to do a startup right now, right? The market just went away. It happened to me again. And it happened to me with the real estate magazine, even though I started it for my dad, it was the end of the eighties and the Japan crisis hit and real estate in Hawaii went in the absolute toilet. It was the worst possible time to be selling real estate advertising just a couple of months after we bought this uh, magazine. So there was a lot of lessons there about how the market can really kick you in the teeth if you're not paying attention.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So then Property radar it evolved over the years. So you slowed down on your investor production, started focusing on really writing and and formalizing this software, and and then beginning to sell it as software as a service. So at what point did that transition happen? Did you get out in two thousand five and and basically stop your real estate investor production and start focusing on on software going into the recession?
1: Yeah, I made the decision at the in December of two thousand five. Spent the first six months of 2006, like getting rid of my last properties, getting everything sold and just getting pretty much, I couldn't convince my wife to sell our own home, but we got rid of everything else, which was really fortunate. Like the last house I sold, I thought I would sell it for 320. I sold it for 260, sold on the courthouse steps in 2010 for $45,000. So like very fortunate to get out when I did. But I've been tracking every foreclosure in California, kind of had this big picture vision of like a Bloomberg terminal for real estate or something like that, but it had all the data on foreclosures because I bought a Taco Bell, I made a million bucks on it. And i like, I just want to find more of those. I'm done with making 20 grand a house, right? Right. And so I was like, I kept using my technology skills. I kept looking at more and more uh, foreclosures. At the same time, I saw the foreclosures ramping up. And so kind of mid 2006 decided people are going to need this data. The services that are out there are no good. I can do a better job. And uh, so launched uh, foreclosure radar in May of 2007. And then as foreclosures started slowing down, I said, well, all these folks that are doing foreclosures need, you know, need to transition to what's next. Let me try to stay ahead of that. And we opened up to cover all properties and started creating opportunities around you know absentee owners and vacants and all the other you know kind of popular lists for listed investors.
0: Right. And that progression, you know, also makes sense. So to someone who has never used property radar, by the way, to all my listeners, I'm a property radar customer and I have like the the highest tier subscription, It uh, gives you like 10,000 records a month. And I checked out a few other options. And yeah. through referrals, asking around, you know, my network of local agents and brokers and people that I know that are in the investing world, a few of them had recommended certain things, but Property Radar kept coming up. And so I was like, okay, like I'll, I'll check this one out. I tried multiple, um, started up subscriptions and paid other ones too. And I found that Property Radar was my favorite, just objectively based on the user interface, the training, you know, they have phenomenal training that walks you through it. My question for you, Sean, is, you know, for someone who's, who's never... Ever logged in to property radar, they they have a loose concept of okay, I'm getting data. Can you describe it to them in like an elevator pitch, but also including like the user interface because I love the user interface
1: uh, thanks. you know so what I discovered in my investing was this treasure trove called public records, right? So if you're in the real estate industry, whether you're an agent, a mortgage broker, an investor, or even a home services company selling like roofs like a roofing or solar, right there's this, unlike pretty much every other business, is you can know every potential customer by name, right? Because it's all in the public record. And you Mm -hmm. can know a lot about them, right? How often do they refinance? How much debt do they have? Are they having any, you know, distress issues like foreclosure? And all of this other stuff is like, it's sitting there, but it's really hard to access, right? Right. And even the access that we've had to it historically, like you know, agents are always like, well, public records are free, right? You get it free from your title company, you can get a list, you get it free from your, uh, maybe built into your MLS, uh, the National Association of Realtors has some product, right? They're not usable for anything. I can look up information about a property, but I can't, how do I turn this into something that actually builds my business? So, that was my thesis kind of going in. And what I discovered, right, was like, okay, on the due diligence side, I need to understand the, the title chain, the chain of hit, you know, around this thing and what's happening because it tells a story, right? So that nobody really built that. They showed the last mortgage and the last purchase on a property profile, but didn't let you really dive in. So that's kind of at the individual property level. And then when it comes to like hey, I want every property in this neighborhood where the owner, it's absentee owner, so it's not their primary residence, but I want the ones that live out of state because I'm a property manager and the people that live down the street aren't gonna hire me, but the people who live out of state are, right? So it's just all those kinds of examples. And I couldn't find a tool out there that would do that. And even some of the tools that did do it, I would go look at their data and I would go back and compare it to the county's data. And it was different. And like, Mm -hmm. I need this to be more accurate. Now I've learned over the years, that's incredibly hard. Like we struggle with that too, just like everybody else. Like it's, there's 3,142 county or county equivalents in the U S like, it's just a really hard thing, but we've got thousands of rules and systems that we've put in place to try to clean that up, find those problems, et cetera, that yeah, that I think really differentiate us. At the end of the day, we're giving you access to public records in ways that you've never had access before to go find your ideal customers.
0: Right. And the user interface aspect that I love is the the map. So being able to drop a pin either kind of drag out a circle or create a little polygon shape. If you live in like a coastal area and it's a weird market and you can literally drop a pin, you know, set some layered criteria. And one of my other favorite things are the pre-selected, like the investor lists. And then (laughs) the quick lists, because when you're beginning to use a software, you don't understand the different tools that can be used to accomplish your goals yet. So it helps a lot to be able to go to quick list and just click investor, owner, 30% or more, you know, um, not 30% or more equity not sold in the last 12 months. And it's like, oh, cool. Now I have properties that the owner has more than 30% equity they haven't sold in the last 12 months. And it's within this specific area that I've identified. And the, the ability to do that in a very usable way is awesome because I hear that a lot from my broker clients. Oh, I could just pull it from my title company. Yeah, you can, but you get this weird spreadsheet that you can't use. And (laughs) basically, it's unusable data unless you just blast them with a blanket mailer. But the ability to click buttons in a software interface and have the search take away the people that are not your customer. Well, now you can save a lot of money by mailing to less people, right? Send out less postcards, get the same results or by paying less in the data if you export it and then do some digital marketing. So it creates the ability to use the data at such a higher level. And that's really what I like about it as a marketing agency, is being able to understand my client's goals, use property radar to then export a list or create some kind of watch list and help accomplish those goals with quality data. And and so I I really like what you're, you're doing with that aspect. Do you find that a lot of brokers themselves, agents use it, or is it primarily investors, marketing agencies, you know, what's your like your customer spreaders? Is it just all over the board?
1: So, yeah, you know, what's interesting is is we do do like, it takes a certain level of experience and sophistication to really understand, you know, those benefits. And then like the other thing that person may not realize is like the title company doesn't have demographics data. So you can't break that down Mm -hmm. by age. But you know, like your seniors have different goals than your new families, so there's also a bunch of other stuff there. But even that like goes over the heads of certainly most new agents and stuff. So we get a lot of people who maybe you know read something like from a really experienced person saying, "Hey, you need this tool. They come sign up and they get overwhelmed. We've got 250 criteria, more than any other platform out there, and they just they don't even know where to start. So QuickList helped there a little bit, but it's hard. Our best customers are those you know, we have in the folks that are buying a thousand homes or more than a year, like we have pretty much a hundred percent market share, right. And a hundred or more a year, we're, I still think we're number one, certainly on the West coast, we're by far number one. We're fairly, we only launched nationally in November. So, you know, in the real estate agents, it's typically a team that has a dedicated, you know, person that's focused on marketing, you know, once you get to a certain size and you have a certain team and you need to do a lot of deals, you can't rely on just kind of the simple list. The, you know, you've got to get um, more sophisticated about what you're doing. You have to have more approaches going at one time. So those are our, by far our best customers, right? Like we feel like we own that market. It's tough for the newbies though, It's it's a lot. The number one thing we hear from the newer folks is it's overwhelming. And, um, mm. you know, we've had a lot of videos and stuff to make that easier, but, you know, most of our customers are teams with a dedicated marketing person agencies like yourself, the large investors.
0: Yeah. That makes complete sense. And like you said, and the that,
1: services, it's the guys that have, you know, need to keep 10 trucks rolling, not one. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, there's a certain level that you need to get to, to not only understand the market but require the deal flow to be willing to then invest in that tool and that data and understand that the ROI from that is going to by far exceed the investment.
1: The crazy part is uh, we're priced the same as all these tools that are aimed at newbies, right?
0: Right, it's not um, that expensive. So,
1: so, you know, it's just a, it's a little bit more of a commitment for the newbie. It, it's funny, like uh, we've got a competitor that when you type in a city, they show you properties with photos. Well, and that's because like one or 2% of the properties are listed for sale, So you can show photos. But if you're a real estate agent or an investor, right? Or even a mortgage broker, do you want the properties that are listed for sale? None of those people are going to do business with you, right? right. So we would never show those those properties first, but to a new user, that looks pretty. Oh, they've got great data because they're showing me photos, but it's a photos of properties you'd never ever that aren't a potential deal for you right so it's you know some of that stuff is uh can be a, a little you know interesting that a a seasoned person understands but a newbie is going to go ooh pretty pictures
0: right right and that is such an important part to to identify is when you open up a software dashboard what is really important are the nuts and bolts behind it and you can really get a sense of how the depth of software as you start to interact with it and click through it because some are very surface. I mean you can throw up a page with a couple of buttons and make it look pretty, but if it has no depth, if it has no frequently asked questions, if it has no training videos, if it has, you know, the when you set certain filters, is the algorithm on the back end actually like filtering things out? Like there are so many nuanced things that go into on the back end, so you know, having more functionality in the back end and a user interface that is maybe not as quote-unquote pretty um, i would take that every single time because what i care about is actually acquiring properties for my clients and like getting results <laughs> right right. Results. <laughs> yeah yeah and I, I like what you said about the photos being yeah those are active on the mls well if you're an agent obviously you can just go do the same search on the MLS and find MLS, those same properties. Like, so what value
1: does what we're here to help you find off market properties, right? Like
0: so yeah.
1: the on market ones are there. Like they're there, but that's not what we're good at. Right. What we're focused on. There's other tools so, for that. Zillow. Zillow's great for that.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about the market now. COVID 19's been around for about 18 months. You know, the listing market is insane. I've heard that foreclosures are at a minimum and and right now, potentially with the Fed stimulus ending or potentially being extended again, like there's some, some unknowns, but you know, what is the best use case for property radar in today's market? Because as you mentioned, you already evolved from foreclosure radar to property radar, right? So instead of really focusing on foreclosures or, you know, finding off market deals, what is the uh, the big focus right now for Property Radar as far as from like a, a, a consumer base? Because I want to to get my listeners' ideas get flowing of like, okay, like, how could I use this today, right?
1: So I think, you know, definitely what we're seeing is a more and more competitive market, right? Certainly for agents trying to get listings, there's more agents entering the business, there's more competition there than there has been in a long time. Uh, for real estate investors, you got more and more people jumping in, and just a lot of com- you know competition there as well. Mortgage, um, huge money going into mortgage, and the rest. So it's a super competitive market. It's a super tight market, and you know you can rely on spending money with Zillow or other lead generators to send you leads or you can go out and build direct relationships with customers. And we're all about the second thing, right? So use this public records to know your customers by name. But that's unfortunately not enough anymore. And so this, this isn't, everybody wants the easy button and, you know, it's just not there, right? And so I think this is the hard part. Like What we're really focused on is say, okay, you are targeting a certain zip code or a certain neighborhood, right? And a couple of years ago, you could do every door direct mailers and pick up listings or pick up deals, right? Um, Mm -hmm. You could do generic, we buy houses, postcards. And that just doesn't work anymore, right? You've got to kind of up your game because everybody's doing that. And so one of the reasons people like, why do you have so many criteria? Like this is just this 252, right? Like it's so many. Well, because what you need to do now is you need to come to the market with a specific story, right? At the end of the day, we're story processors, right? We want to hear a story. We want to buy into something. And so, you know, just as an example, in California, we just passed a law that if you're over 55, you can take your, uh, we have Prop 13, which keeps your property taxes, you know, fairly low over time, they can only go up 2% a year. And if you're in a high appreciation market, the difference between your assessed value and actual value can be pretty high. Right. So you know, go to Palo Alto. Look for full time owners, right, over the age of fifty five, because that's how old you have to be to take advantage of this law, right? With an assessed value above two million. I mean, a, an assessed value of below five hundred thousand, an actual value above two million. So these folks have a million and a half dollars worth of gain to work with. If they move to the foothills of California, they're going to buy two or three times the house for a million dollars, half the money, be able to put a million, take half a million dollars out, you know, tax-free, Maybe pay a little bit of tax on it, or they could buy a million and a half dollar house and take a half million dollars and put it in the bank tax-free and keep their $500,000 tax basis on this million and a half dollar house. That's a story, mm-hmm. right? That's not something, even though it's been in the news, it's not something people realize, don't realize it applies to them. And- So what we're trying to do is give you enough criteria so you can go focus on those stories, right? Like everybody does the absentee landlord list. Like, you know, we buy your house, you know we'll take it with tenants, whatever. But what about the guy who's 75, who lives out of state, who, or gal, who owns those homes, right? Do you say exactly the same thing to them? Can you tailor your message a little bit more to what they might care about? And, you know, so that's really where our focus is because that's our customers right now that are killing it, that's what they're doing, right? And a lot of times they're using an agency like you to do that, take that, take that market that you have in mind, but now break it down, right? Right. Some people have no equity. Some people have a lot of equity. Some people have lived there 20 years. Some people have lived there two. Some people are old. Some people are young. There's just so many ways you can divide that up. And to use the same message for that whole group doesn't, won't work anymore. You may get a couple, but it's not competitive. You need to segment that market out and talk to those people where they live.
0: Right. Makes total sense to me. And I walk my clients through a similar process where we really identify what their ideal client is, what their age is. We create a little avatar, you know, what do they care about? Are they a veteran? Like what what little aspects of their life is important to them? And then we look at the different types of laws or opportunities around like VA loans or different things that we can then leverage that's unique to them. And I liked how you talked about Prop 13 and how that passed where, you know, 55 and over now you can actually move. I think it's anywhere in California, right?
1: Anywhere in California. Yeah. yeah. It's
0: amazing. Like, <laughs> yeah. And and keep your tax basis from wherever you were, which is like an incredible 30 30 years opportunity. Ago, yeah. yeah it doesn't have to be tied to the same property and then just willed to your children or something. So using Especially
1: that- Crazy amount of appreciation we've had. And yep. the federal law allows you take a half million dollars and put it in the bank tax-free. I mean, it's a life-changing deal.
0: Yep. No, it really is. And so I try to do that same thing, match the high quality data with the right message. And when that happens, that's when the campaigns that I've run in the past have been the most successful.
1: We talk about chocolate and peanut butter is the analogy we use like Reese's peanut butter cup, right? Like, you know, Mm -hmm. where they bump into each other and the two get mixed Mm -hmm. and we're good at the audience size side of this, right? People all want an easy button, right? They want the whole package, which I totally get. But, you know, all these gurus from Utah, they're always from Utah or Florida, right? Um, What worked there won't work in your neighborhood. Like, we can't just bring that message to you, right? You've got to think about, and it's it's also unique to you. It's unique Mm -hmm. to you, Mm -hmm. and it's unique to your market. What I want to do is I want to be there. That's your chocolate, right? Like figuring out what unique service you bring to the market and what your market wants, right? That's your, that's you, that's your chocolate. We want to be there with a peanut butter. So once you have that thesis, we help you find those people. We create that audience for you. That's what I'm out to do and out to solve so that, you know, smart people who really want to go target their market and be efficient and really grow their business, we can help provide those audiences for them.
0: Yeah. And you got to have the right message. So I'm a copywriter and it's kind of a lost art nowadays, but the concept of it is you can think of it this way. Have you ever seen a new movie with incredible special effects that was terrible? Of course, we've all seen them, right? We've all seen the, they just, they went over the overboard on the special effects and they had no script. They had no story. Well, That's kind of the same thing of putting like a flashy little ad out there with good imagery or nice graphics, or like even making a video, spending a thousand or more dollars and shooting a video and having it edited and putting it to market and having it flop. Why? Because it doesn't have a script that pulls and is compelling. So copywriting, script writing, that's a part of what my agency does for clients on a done for you basis. So we'll identify their goals and then match that message in to a proven framework like ADA, right? Attention, interest, desire, action, we'll tie it to a copywriting formula that makes sense for that, that message, and then we'll put it to market. And when you combine that, cause I've done that, but this is where we, this is our strength, we've done that without data, right? Where we yeah. just literally zero targeting Facebook ad and it still works, Works, But yeah. when, but, but then when you combine it with data where now it's going to the right people and it's that message that's crafted for them, that's when you have that success. And very few people have both components. So it's so critical. So critical.
1: Yeah, no, it's uh, you know, I'm a son of a logic professor. And so I I like to think we're all logic processors, right? And and logical in our decisions. And we're just not, we're story processors, we're emotional beings, and we need that story in order to connect with a brand. And so, yeah, it's it's super important. It's super frustrating for me because here I provide audiences and we hear back from people like, you know, your data is no good because I sent this message out to a thousand people and I didn't get a phone call. And I'm like, well, can you show me the message, right? And it's, the message is like, you're in foreclosure. You should sell me your house. It's like, oh my God, I'm embarrassed to be associated with it, right? Like, right. you know, and it's like, okay, you know, you need more than a list.
0: <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. So I'm curious, you know, throughout your entrepreneurial journey, because we've talked a lot about Property Radar, but prior to that, I mean, you had tech startups, you, you know, you mentioned real estate investment and making a million dollars on a taco bell. I mean, these are, these are some things that uh, a lot of, a lot of people, you know, strive to achieve. So I'm curious if you have like one action item throughout your career or your lifetime that has attributed most to your success.
1: Action item. So not an action item. I'll think about that one. As I just say, like, I think the one thing that I think I'm really good with is Mm -hmm. change. I think all opportunity comes from change. And so, whereas a lot of people look at change, end of 2005, I got to sell all my houses and it should be terrible, right? And all I see is opportunity in that, right? End of the dot-com thing. Like, I'm a startup guy, like startup things over. But it's always, there's always opportunity in, in change. And, you know, COVID last year, you know, clearly a lot of change. And so, it's, I think that's, you know, I think one of my more important things is I'm always looking for where the change is and where the opportunity is around that change. In terms of Akken, uh, a specific action that I do or take on a regular basis, I think the the biggest thing that has helped me be successful is that kind of know, I'm always learning. Right. So I would say that's that's the action I take on a regular daily basis. Like I'm always studying something, you know, um, marketing or the rest. You probably heard a couple of things, you know, the audience here probably heard a couple of things in this audience that are in this conversation that we're unfamiliar with them, like ADA or whatever, right? And like to go study that, understand that. like new people who start with our our service, and they're like two hundred and fifty uh, criteria is overwhelming. I'm like, so for me, if I ran into that situation, what I do is I take those 250 criteria, maybe sit with my team or myself, put them up on the whiteboard one at a time, and think about how could we use this to differentiate ourselves in our market. Right. Like probably more than half of the 250, you're not going to have an answer for, right? Because some are for mortgage professionals, and you're, you know, a listing agent or whatever, right? But you're going to, as you go through that thought exercise. You're going to just, your mind's going to start blowing up with different ideas. And same Mm -hmm. thing on the messaging front, right? You start thinking about who are the different personas in my marketplace? What do they need? If I look at all the sales in my marketplace that happened last year, what average age are they? How long have the people who sold last year lived in their homes, right? Those are the questions that I'm always thinking about. Like, if I'm going to think about who's going to sell this year, it may not be the people who sold last year, but that's a hell of a good starting place.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Continuing education is so important and not just to keep your license as a, as a real estate professional, right? But to actually learn new things consistently and have that hungry appetite for growth. It's so important. I was talking to uh, one of my friends who he's 23, he's a little younger. He's actually, he introduced me to his dad and he, his dad is a top real estate broker in Las Vegas and they've been a client for years. Really close friends, great client. And I I, uh, spent some time with him last week and he was talking about how he's graduating college soon. And I said, you want some advice? He's like, yeah, absolutely. And I said, most people, when they finish school, stop reading books. They stop learning. They think that now they've graduated and they're done. Yeah. I told him the most valuable skills I've learned in my life. I learned after college. And I did that by continuing to invest in myself, continuing to not only look up free content, but in some cases investing in expensive mastermind groups because I identified a group of people that had what I wanted and I knew yeah. that they could shortcut the process and get me there faster by guiding me through it. And so I, I told them, you know, all the stuff I do for your dad that's valuable, every single thing that you've seen over the last couple of years that I've been able to then monetize and add value to the world with, I learned after college. So I just encourage them to have that attitude and it, it's so critical. So I'm, I'm glad to hear it, you know, the we same, it, goes for you.
1: Yeah. And our company values, we call it, you know, be curious, be curiosity. Right. So I don't know. If curiosity is really an action, but I think it's an like, I'm curious every day. Like I'm curious yeah, about yeah. everything. And I think that served me so well and, and it's led to Absolutely. all these different opportunities.
0: Absolutely. Where do you think the industry is heading? You know, five, ten year projections. I was just writing a magazine article for a magazine that uh, goes out to real estate professionals in San Diego, and I talked about you know how to fight fire with fire when it comes to iBuyers. buyers. And mm-hmm. I noticed like this Facebook group post about open door, you know, offering four fifty for a house that a agent had said, hey, you should list this for three ninety nine. And the, in the consumer's mind, the quote was, they thought that they wholeheartedly believed they save 30 to $40,000 by going with Opendoor. And this is just one example. And my point with that is you got to be fishing upstream in order to have the conversation with the homeowner first and control the narrative, because in this case, Opendoor got in the door first and they were able to control the narrative. So that once they then met with agents, they had that open door offer rattling around the back of their mind for every listing appointment that they held. Right. And so that was my concept of that article, but I'm really curious when it comes to off market properties and the listing market that we're in right now, you know, where do you think the industry is heading in the next five, 10 years?
1: Yeah. um, I think that the level of sophistication is going to continue to go up because of the level of competition, right? So this is the hard part. If you've had kind of an easy role, you know, maybe you had a good network to pull from, et cetera, like at some point that's going to start to diminish, right? Whether it's an iBuyer coming into your market or just a more sophisticated platform, like there's a lot of money going into uh, technology and services like ours to be more targeted into... Agencies, and it's it's harder and harder to compete there when you've got other people telling good stories. And Open Door has spent a lot of money to tell a good story, right? Big picture, you know, iBuyers are a tiny, tiny percentage of the total market in the US. Mm-hmm. You're feeling it a lot if you're in Phoenix, you know, and if in a handful of other markets, Riverside, you know, whatever, it's still, you know, those are huge businesses if they get to. 5% of the market, right? 10% of the market. I, I don't I don't think anybody's even pondering them to get to a really large market share. So I think the better lessons to take from them aren't how to compete with them, but what are they doing to attract those customers? How can I learn from those things? What are their letters A? How can I do a better job than they do, right? There's still one company trying to serve multiple markets. You know your local market better than they do. So use those tools. Think about your market more closely and what will resonate there in ways that the guys sitting back in their offices won't be able to, right? So take what's good and then figure out how to up at a level. One of the things that I do, you know, on the real estate investing side, if I have, let's say, I come up with a thesis and a target list, a lot of people start direct mailing or doing online ads. I actually like to take my target list and go knock on some doors. Mm. Because when I knock on those doors, I'm going to meet those people to face and I'm going to learn a lot about that market and those people and the situations. And I may get a few of those doors knocked in, you know, slammed in my face, but at the end, I'm gonna come away knowing this. And I may I may go, you know what, this is the wrong list. And I may also go, okay, now I better understand what they need so I can better write my marketing message. All right? so you can start with door knock, move to phone call, then move to direct mail, then move to, on, like you kind of can scale up over time, but get that message right first. And so one of the things I'll ask of these people, right, is to send me or at least keep postcards, letters, um, other things, online ads, even clip them and email them to me and I'll pay them, right? I'll pay them a hundred bucks with an Amazon gift card or whatever it needs to get that Because now I know exactly who else is targeting that list and what they're saying. So now it's really easy for me to come in and and up my game. So I end up getting the open door letters and all those things so I can see what all those competitors in my marketplace are doing.
0: Right, which is so smart. And to my listeners, that's called market research. He is (laughs) conducting market research on what messages and conversations are already happening and targeted to... The target market that he is going after. The importance of that is that these big companies have already done tons of this research. So you're standing on the so- shoulders Damn. of giants sure by sure yeah, by reiterating what the points that they're putting out there. And another point that you made was you know them, iBuyers as a whole capturing maybe five, seven percent, ten percent of the market share. Nowhere close um, to that. Maybe someday th- yes. they're out like they're at like one or two percent right now. But yeah, someday, like ultimately. And I tend to agree with that as well. That I think the lion's share will always go to a real estate professional and a local expert. And that five, ten percent of the market will then go towards this this other option, which that's what it is. It's an option. And one thing I that I want to be the
1: last option either. I think there'll be some others.
0: Yes, absolutely. And one thing that I want to do to hopefully help create more understanding with my listeners from what you just described is use the analogy of fishing because you know it's fresh in my mind that's what i just used when i wrote this article so if i go fish at a new lake you know this is drawing on my experience going to the sierra nevadas every year and doing some lake fishing if i go to a new lake well wouldn't it be beneficial for me to go gather some data wouldn't i want to go to the local tackle shop and ask What kind of bait did the fish here bite on? What size tackle should I use? Like, am I using like four pound tackle with two pound test or am I using, you know, what, oh, Hey, what areas of the lake do the the fish bite the most? Right. A couple of key questions, right? Some good data that I could gather from a short conversation. Well, that's like using property radar and doing a little bit of training and identifying the correct list. You're gathering that high quality data. Now, you know where to fish, you know where the fish are and to get that data of what message they're biting on, that's that market research that Sean was talking about. And you can actually do it in many different ways. I love door knocking, go talk to your market. And I also love the concept of having them send you ads. You can do an online survey. You can go in Facebook groups and just stock. Just look at, look at the conversations, ask. Yeah. And then once you have this picture, now you can say, how am I different? How can I now offer value above and beyond or in a different way to serve the customer better? And that's your story. You know, that's, that's your message. And then you, you are able to deliver that to the market and go catch some fish. So hopefully that makes, that makes sense to everyone.
1: And, you know, the hard part here, though, is everybody wants an easy button and I get it. I want the easy button too, right? And what we're talking about is the hard button, uh, <laughs> you know, but I think when you look at, when I look at, we've had tens of thousands of really successful customers, like thousands of people that have made millions of dollars, right? So, and when I look across that, it's that people that do that one extra little bit, right? Right. Do the research, do a little bit more targeting. Maybe it's not 10 extra steps. Maybe it's not everything we're talking about, but they take one or two more steps than the other people in their market. Mm-hmm. Those are the people that are crushing it. Those are the people that are successful. Those are the ones that, you know, are up on stage being the top producers, right? They're taking that, they're just doing a little bit more. And that gap is not that big. So if you're looking for that easy button, start thinking a little bit about how far you could get with just a slightly harder button.
0: That's right. And in the compound effect, Jeff Olson talks about how consistent actions over time can help to multiply the end result. But even if if you're looking at three KPIs, right, three key productivity indicators, one of those might be conversion rate from either door knocking or phone calls to appointment and then conversion rate from appointment to contract. And and so you're looking at a few numbers. To boost the end number, the bottom line revenue by 50%, you could just actually boost the smaller numbers by 3, 5 or 10% because they'll have a multiplication effect for the end result. And so I think you know, what Sean is is kind of getting at is like, you don't have to do everything. But if you looked at your numbers, if you started tracking, I think that, that's that's one thing is you start tracking. Okay. And then once you know, then, okay, here's my, my funnel, here's my cost per acquisition for a deal. Here are the numbers and the fall off rate in between. Well, this quarter, we're going to focus on this number. How can we improve that number, right? And then the next quarter, you focus on this other number. And then by the end of the year, if you've only boosted those by or 3% each, the end result is going to be massive, a huge boost in in production, especially if you're doing any type of consistent volume. So
1: there's actually a tipping point where it can become exponential. Yes, exactly. And that's where these SaaS companies get billion dollar, you know, Picasso, the new uh, fractional rental ownership. It's like, you know, the fastest to a billion dollar valuation of any company ever.
0: By the way. Driving back from the airport last night, LAX, they have some great copywriters because I saw a billboard that as a copywriter, I appreciated and thought to myself, it's a great headline. It was so simple, very plainly stated, the unique benefit that Picasso offers. Second home ownership for one eighth the cost. Yeah, all right. Nailed it. <laughs> yeah. Couldn't be easier, right? And Sometimes it's as simple as that it's plainly stating what your product or service offers, but not getting too lost in jargon that only you understand. It's gotta be from the consumer's point of view. I'm a big fan of Jay Abrahams and Jay Abraham, he talks about how with icy Hot" and with, you know, gold was another one of his examples, <laughs> he changed just a couple words words in, in the headline and was able to save companies from going bankrupt. Because they were thinking of it in the terms that they understood and using the words that they wanted to use, but he looked at it from the consumer point of view, and so when he worded it in a way that the consumer instantly understood, boom, that's when it clicked. So, it's so I can hard see to do. It, it is. It's, hard. it's a
1: hard. It's one of those hard things too, right? Like it's yeah. yeah. Especially the closer you are, the harder it becomes.
0: I know that it's plus. a law of familiarity. Yeah, yeah. you become yeah. so familiar with things that are advanced within your own industry that you don't understand that. The simplest things to you could be revolutionary to someone else. You're on this, you know, level 10, where if you just explain level one in a very simple way, people are hooked and intrigued, right? But you're at level 10 and there's a disconnect in messaging there. So, so many things, so many nuances. And that's why my agency has a a business is because this stuff is hard. It's hard to disconnect and really look at it from the consumer's point of view and use their messaging uh, rather than your own messaging. So... Yeah. Great points. And, you know, you have been a phenomenal guest. I'm curious if there's any question that I should have asked you or anything that you'd like to elaborate on from earlier.
1: No, you did a great job I and mean, we covered a ton and uh, I am glad we we really kind of dove into that importance of the, the chocolate and peanut butter, right? Because yes. it's the, we can almost predict whether somebody's going to, you know, stay on, be a customer, you know, be successful or not based on whether they have any chocolate, you know, and whether they're thinking that way or not, right. Like about their market and what value they bring, if they can, and they have a story there, like that's going to be a really good fit for us. If they don't, and they still need that, it's uh, you know, it's like back to bigger pockets or, you know, other things like you get some more learning to do still.
0: Yep. Absolutely. Well, great point. And how can listeners contact you if they're interested?
1: Yeah, I'm personally on uh, LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter, and so is the company, Property Radar, and our website, PropertyRadar.com, is the best place to go to find out about our product. If you are just interested in foreclosures, I guess that's the one thing that we probably uh, didn't go ahead. Talk that much about is uh, foreclosures. We could we could. That's a common question for me, and you you mentioned it earlier. Uh, but we also have ForeclosureRadar.com, which is the foreclosure specific service and and it, here's the way I'm going to plug that foreclosure specific service is we are not going to have a repeat of 2008 there are going to be more foreclosures but not that many um, the market's fundamentally different and if they pulled all the moratoriums and the rest tomorrow we'd see a surge but it wouldn't be anything like 2008 so I hate to say it because I sell foreclosure data but um, <laughs> The chances that we'll see another foreclosure crisis in our lifetimes, like 2008, is both fortunately for those folks that lived through the downside of it and unfortunately for those that took advantage of it. I don't think we'll see it again. The yeah, regulatory I, framework changed.
0: I agree. The regulatory framework changed. That was 30 years of bad loans come to fruition. I mean, there are so many factors that went into that crisis. And it's like you said, kind of like in um, the big short when they're really excited after that Las Vegas conference, realizing that they're going to make all this money. And then Brad Pitt's really serious. He says, you realize this means economic collapse, to the United States and the world, right? And they're all like, oh, like, yeah. so, so it's, you know, fortunately on that end, unfortunately on the investor end that, you know, there won't be as many opportunities like there were in our, most likely in our lifetime. But with that being said, I mean, even in the two years ago, in in the huge surge of equity, when I'm saying to myself, How could there even be a short sale right now? Like how could someone owe more than than their houses worth? And sure enough, one of my clients is like, I closed one yesterday in Valencia, like they happen still, right? It's just not that massive surge of, oh my gosh, it seems like everyone's in foreclosure. So, you know, I've had that conversation with some of my investor network recently is like, they're getting ready for open season. And they were, you know, post COVID coming into early 2021, I said, it's a different not what it was i mean everyone's looking at that like every 10 years there's a correction and this and that and we're overdue and oh god and it's like it's totally different there's so many factors people have more equity than they ever have like there's not as many bad loans out there it's just it's different so i'm I'm glad you said that i really appreciate the objectivity um and of course that's also why you then got into property radar i actually didn't know that that foreclosure radar was still existing and separate, I thought it had kind of like evolved into Property Radar based on your story. So I'm also glad that you clarified that.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a major brand. So like, I mean, it was on 60 Minutes, right? Like, so um, we didn't, you know, the technology underneath the two are the same, but, but we do have both brands.
0: Got it. Very good. Well, Sean O'Toole, everyone, founder and CEO of Property Radar, Foreclosure Radar, You know, we had a great conversation today and I really appreciate having you on. So thanks for being a guest.
1: No, thanks for having me.
0: Thank you for listening. If you want to accomplish your real estate goals, then I highly suggest downloading my free Ultimate Real Estate Goal Setting Framework. The link is in the description of the show and it will help you break down your annual income goal into the amount of phone calls, appointments, or open houses you need in order to achieve that goal. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next time.
1: This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.